0: Hey, what's up everyone? You are on the Eden Podcast and we are so glad that you're here. I hope that the next 30 minutes will help you to become the person that God always dreamed you could be. Let's get started. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so pumped to have you. My name is Daniel. I'm part of the team here at Eden Church, and we're all about helping people take a next step with Jesus. Now, if you've been with us, you know that we have been in a new series called God Is, and actually the rest of the title leaves space to finish the sentence. And the hope is that our conversations would give us space to rethink some of what we think about God. Now, you need to hear this from me, right? This is not to tear down Anyone's faith, or even what they've learned about God. But it is a challenge for all of us to take a fresh look at our faith so that we come to a fuller, more beautiful picture of who God is. And I think that if we do, it can impact in a very deep way how we relate to God. I wonder if you've ever had the opportunity to meet someone in person that you've admired from a distance. Maybe it was someone that's like positively influenced in your life through a book or a podcast. Or maybe you heard a talk or someone who inspires you on Instagram through design or through fitness or songwriting. Well, one time I was at this small conference and one of the few people that I listened to religiously on podcasts was there. His name is Kerry Newhoff. He talks a lot about leadership in the church. And I admired him so much because so much of the content was an encouragement to me in my leadership and in my faith. And honestly, just like in my general personal self-development. And I remember at that conference, once I saw him, I set it in my mind that I was going to try to thank him for all the positive influence he was in my life. And finally, my moment was there. It was after one session, and he was standing in the lobby all alone, didn't have anyone talking to him, and I completely chickened out, right? Like the stars were aligned, and I let destiny walk away from me that day. But part of what was weird about the experience was realizing that someone I felt like I knew, I actually had no relationship with. Our relationship was all about what I knew about him. I listened to pre-recorded conversations that he had. I listened and read thoughts that he shared on social media. I've seen him give presentations, but we actually had like no relationship. I didn't have his cell phone. He didn't give me his email. It wasn't like, You know, he was responding to my DMs. There was absolutely no relationship. And honestly, probably at my core, I was pretty sure that he didn't want to have a relationship with me. Unfortunately, I think that this is how many of us relate to God. Like he's this image that we've gathered from ancient stories that we've heard about him. But for many of us, there's actually no real connection to God. Maybe we're reminded about him a few times on a Sunday morning throughout the month, but there's no daily connection. Today, I hope that we can begin to see God as a friend that we can relate to and not just a figure to admire from a distance. And so we're going to do that by looking in the Old Testament, which is also known as the Hebrew Bible. And we're going to be revisiting the passage that we looked at last week. And just as a reminder, this passage is the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible because it was the framework in the Old Testament for how we understood God. And this passage is really interesting because it actually has a backstory that helps us to understand why it was so powerful. It begins with a guy named Abram. God speaks to him and tells him to leave his homeland of Mesopotamia and to travel to an unknown land in Canaan, where God promises that if he goes, he's going to be blessed. And Abram, being the ambitious entrepreneur that he was, couldn't resist the adventure. And so he goes and along the way, God changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which is all part of the promise that God made to him. And you might be wondering, like, that's pretty impressive. How did God convince someone to do something so radical that he didn't even know? Well, part of how God convinced him to go was how he introduced himself to Abram. He said, I'm God Almighty. In the original language, it's El Shaddai. It means the king of the gods. El is the Canaanite name for God. And El Shaddai was basically God saying that I am the king of all the gods that you knew growing up. And so, yeah, it was a pretty powerful statement. And at this point in the Bible, this is really the most informative statement that we have from God about himself. But all of this changes when Moses comes along. Moses was a Hebrew descendant of Abraham, and eventually he was adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter. And while he was in the Pharaoh's court, he watched his people suffering as slaves under the Egyptian rule. And at some point in his life, he had like this midlife crisis, and he sensed that God was leading him to do some pretty radical stuff. And one day, God called Moses into the Sinai Desert, and he revealed himself. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, it says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this was a really powerful moment for Moses. God revealed himself to him. But he also reveals that he had this undergirding plan for Moses' life. He said that he observed the pain of his people. And now he wanted Moses to lead them out of slavery. And you can imagine Moses at this time was not the most confident person. So he's like, what? In Exodus chapter 3 verse 13. We read his response. It says, Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And I know that this question or response from Moses doesn't seem powerful or unique. I get that. But he actually uses the Hebrew phrase, mashimo, which translated means, what is his name? But if you were Hebrew, you would know that that is not normally how you ask someone's name. It was actually a deeper question. "Mashimo" is asking, what is the meaning of your name? In other words, what makes you you? What are you like? What is your character? And I think like maybe in this moment, I don't know if God gets surprised, but I feel like he was like, oh, I see you, Mo, right? Like that was a really good question. I know that there are a lot of us that measure leaders by different standards. I recently came across a book with the title Good Leaders Ask Great Questions. And like in this moment, Moses is beginning to show off some of his leadership capacity. And then in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, we see that God actually responds to the question. God says, "I am who I am." Ehyeh asher ehyeh, which means I'm The God whose character never changes. And that must have been like really reassuring to Moses, right? That's a good trait to have if you're God. Uh, I don't know if you remember last week we talked about like you become what you worship. And it's hard to follow a God who changes course every few generations. It's not a good look. But what God was saying is I'm the God who never changes. And then in Exodus chapter 3 verse 15, God also said to Moses... Answering his question, say this to the people of Israel Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now, this is really interesting because now he tells Moses his name, and his name is Yahweh, which actually comes from the same root word as Eyeh, which is translated into I am. And so, Eyeh is first person, like I am. Yahweh is second person, which means he is. In other words, God is finally telling Moses his name, but he doesn't really answer the question about what his name means until Moses is at the top of Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 34, verses 4 through 7. And this is the passage that we've been revisiting each week. It says, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. This moment of revelation on Mount Sinai where we learn God's name is this amazing moment in the life of Moses, but it's also amazing in the life of the people who follow God. The rest of the Old Testament is really just story after story after story of this God in action. And that's why this is the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible. God reveals himself to Moses and the people of Israel in this moment in a way that he had never revealed himself before. And what you'll notice as you read the Bible, but also as you're on the journey of faith, is that this is part of God's pattern all throughout human history. That over time, he begins to reveal himself more and more. You may have noticed that this is true in your life. That who God is today to you is very different from how you understood God as a child, or maybe how you even understood God when you first started exploring faith or when you were going through college or when you were in different seasons of life, when you went through a challenge in your life. God reveals parts of who he is in conjunction with what you experience in life. So it's maybe interesting to talk to other people about their understanding of God, their experience with God, because there's always often an overlap But part of how we understand who God is, is actually tied to the unique life experiences that we've had with God. So imagine this. Imagine if Moses and Abraham were having a conversation. They'd probably both be able to be like, hey, God asks you to do crazy things, right? Yes, but he always delivers, right? Yep, that's true too. But I think Moses might be able to speak of God's mercy and compassion in a way that Abraham might not have known about. That's the beauty of the journey of faith. It's that in our experience over a lifetime with God, we slowly begin to gain a fuller, more robust picture of who God actually is. And I think that when God begins to reveal himself in this way, it's interesting to think that the first thing that God talks about is his name. Early on in the relationship between Moses and God, Uh, we sort of see why this is in Exodus chapter 33 18 and 19. It says then Moses said now show me your glory and the Lord said I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I'll proclaim my name the Lord in your presence. The reason why God shares with Moses his name is because he told him he would. And this is actually a really huge statement because in the ancient world, names were more than just labels, right? Your name was your identity. It was your destiny. An example of this is Abram, whose name originally meant exalted father. But then when God got involved in his life, he changed his name to Abraham, which then meant father of many nations. He changed his name because God changed his destiny. I remember when we were naming our first son, we really wanted his name to have significance. And so we named him Cohen, which is the Hebrew word for priest, which means to be set apart. And then we wanted to name his middle name Timothy because it meant gift of God. And then one day we were telling some of our friends uh, why we named our kids what we did. And I mentioned to them that we named him Timothy because his name means gift of God. And the father, our friend, said, oh, that's really interesting, because I remember we don't have any boys, but if we ever did, I always wanted to name my son Matthew, because it also means gift of God. Now, we kind of looked at each other a little bit puzzled, because both of us knew that those two words were different enough to know they didn't come from the same root word. And what I learned that day is that Timothy doesn't mean gift of God. We like went back in the dictionary, looked it up, and I was wrong. And so since then, I have had no no rights in naming our children moving forward. But for us, we really wanted him to have significance. To name him meant to give him some direction at a very deep level about who he was. And when God said, I'm going to reveal to you my name, that meant that God wanted you to know him. He wanted you to know his character, his personality, his identity. He said, I'm Yahweh. And here's the powerful part of the story, is that the revelation that God gave to Abraham and then gave to Moses wasn't over with. That there was more to reveal in the New Testament. And we see that in John chapter one, verse 20. It said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's hard to see it in the English, but so much of this passage is being pulled actually from Exodus chapter 34. When he uses the phrase, made his dwelling among us, it's literally pitched his tabernacle among us. This was a reference to the tabernacle that Israel set up at the base of Mount Sinai. When he uses the word glory, this is a reference to the cloud at the top of the mountain on Sinai. When he uses the phrase grace and truth, it's also translated as love and faithfulness, which were characteristics of Yahweh. John is taking so much of the language from Exodus about Yahweh, and he's applying it to Jesus. Verse 21 says, "'I have revealed your name to those who you gave me. I have made your name known to them.'" Your name is a stand-in for God's character. And what this means is that Jesus, in Jesus, we get this crystal clear picture of what God is actually like. And the early followers of Jesus actually understood this. If you were baptized, you would make this profession, this statement, you would say, Jesus is Lord. And this one little statement in their context got them into a lot of trouble. In fact, there were many of them that actually died because of this statement. Because it used the Greek word kurios. Kurios is the same word that they would use for Caesar when they would call him Lord. And so in a sense, it was like this treasonous statement to say this in their context. But more importantly, kurios was the same Greek word that Jews used to translate the Hebrew word Yahweh. And so when early followers of Jesus said that he was Lord, most of whom, by the way, were Jews, they were acknowledging that Jesus was Yahweh in the flesh. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but but for a long time, the way that I understood Yahweh was that he was sort of parallel with God the Father. But what we learn in this sort of uh, study of Scripture, we're realizing that Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. And I think that like sometimes the way that we translate these words can actually goof up how we relate to God. The problem with translating Yahweh as Lord, even in the New Testament, is that Lord is like this title that actually makes you feel very disconnected from God. It doesn't feel like a very intimate statement when actually God was telling you his name so that you would relate to him in a very intimate way. It would be like a kid whose dad was maybe in the military, and instead of calling their dad, Daddy, which is like a very familial term, a very intimate term between a father and a child, he called him Sergeant, where there's like this, formality that and sometimes void of intimacy, God could have just given us a title to refer to him. But he didn't. He told us his name. He shared with us his character so that we could know him. And so the question then for us is like, what does this mean for you and for me in our everyday life and the way that we relate to God? Well, one thing it means is that God is a friend to be known more than he is a figure to be admired. Like he is a person, not like in the physical sense, like male and female, but like in the relational sense. He is a relational being that wants to relate with us. He wants to know us and to be known by us, which is why we see all throughout human history, him fighting to reveal himself to his people. And I think that it's so funny how we talk about a personal relationship with God. But if we're being honest, a lot of our relationship with God looks a lot like the type of relationship that we have with people that we admire from a distance. Like we know his bio on social media. We share a few quotes when it's culturally appropriate. But he's not really involved in our everyday lives. We're not like inviting him into the challenges that we're facing. We're not trying to hang out with him a lot of times until we actually really, really need him. I love the relationship between Moses and God. They literally have conversations with one another. Later in Scripture, it says, in actually Exodus chapter 3, 33 verse 11, it says, "...the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend." Like, do we admire God? Yes, but not at the sake of intimacy and closeness to God. Now, I know the word friend may be like an obstacle for us to overcome as we think about our relationship with God. So I'm not saying like God is the type of person that's going to go to the mall with you and like watch, you know, your favorite Netflix show. But what this is saying is that unlike so many other things we worship and the way that other gods and other relationships are positioned, what what Yahweh says, I am willing to come to where you are in life. That I'm willing to be available in your immediate situation. And what's so interesting to think about this word as it applies to God is that like we have all types of friends, right? We have some friends that we do certain things with. We have some friends that we can share personal stuff with. But what this is reminding us is that we have a friend in God like nothing we have here on earth. That God is a friend that will never misassess your situation. God is not a friend that will ever go and gossip about you behind your back. God is not a friend that will ever like judge your situation. But he is the perfect friend that we have access to all the time. I wonder if you've ever thought about the difference between trophies and tools. Trophies are like these shiny metal objects that sometimes we place on a mantle and we admire from a distance. And occasionally when friends come over, maybe we talk about them. We reminisce about the moments and past events that were unique that helped us to get these medals or these trophies. But most of the time, they literally just collect dust. And they really don't offer much value to how we live our lives. But tools are the things that we use when we are solving problems, when we are fixing things, when we're breaking things, when we're changing things and building things. They are with you in the everyday navigation of life. And what I want you to hear today is that God is not a trophy just to be admired. He is your friend that is helping you to navigate life, who supports you and who wants to relate with you and interact with you. I don't know how you see God in your mind and in your heart, but I think today for me and and maybe for you, this is a reminder that God is not just the big guy upstairs. He's not this abstract picture or a force in the universe, but God is a personal, relational friend. He is someone who wants to help shape your marriage. He wants to influence your parenting. He wants to help you relate better to other people. He even wants to change the way that you see yourself. He wants you to come with him when you think you've got nothing left and no one left. An interesting thing happened at this conference that I was at. Remember, we're like I chickened out and There was this guy that I wanted to meet, this influencer who had influenced my life. Well, I actually got a second chance. Somehow, I weaseled my way into a group of other people that he was talking to, and it was sort of coming to the end of the conference. We had one more session to go to, and it was about dinner time. And so, as he's talking to like this small group of people that I like slowly kind of nudged myself into the group, he invited all of us to dinner. And I could not believe it. And I remember like having this thought. I was so nervous because I was like, oh man, my wife is not with me. Should I ditch my wife and go to dinner? And If I'm being honest, I thought about it for a second. Okay. But then I came to my son and said, no, I can't do that to my wife. Then I actually asked him, I said, can my wife come with me? And he was like, yeah, bring her along. And I remember being so like having like this really powerful moment at dinner because there were just literally four or five of us. And. And I remember like the whole time he was asking us questions about us. He wanted to know about us. And that one moment changed the nature of our relationship. It was now more than just like information that I knew about him. We were able to relate to one another. And now, you know, honestly, he calls me every week. I've got a cell phone number. No, I'm just kidding. Right. But it is funny how at one moment I wouldn't even approach him because I didn't think he wanted anything to do with me. And then he takes us out to dinner. I think that maybe there are some of us that have been distant from God because we think that maybe God actually doesn't want anything to do with us. There may be some of you that think, based on what you've done and who you are, that God couldn't love you. There are others of you that have probably heard things about God, taken out of context and wrongly applied, and in light of that, you are not really attracted to the God that you've heard about, but at the same time, you wonder how it is that so many people claim to have had this life-changing experience with him. I wonder what if today is the day that you experience God for yourself, That you invite him into your life and you make an assessment based on your experience with him. What if today is the day that you move from maybe admiring God from a distance and making him a friend to relate with? If that's you today, where maybe you have been far from God for a season of life, for whatever reason, we all get busy. There are a lot of changes that we're trying to figure out. Or maybe you joined today because you have never had a relationship with God. And something that has happened in the past year or the past few months has sort of compelled you to begin this search of asking questions like, is there more to life than what I'm experiencing? If that's you today, I want to encourage you to take a step of faith and to invite God into your life, to actually invite him into your heart And to see if what other people say about him is true. Or maybe you begin to rethink some of what you have believed to be true about God. So this morning, if that's you, I want to invite you to enter into this very simple prayer. Where we're asking God and beginning a relationship with him. And really there's nothing special about the words. It is whether or not these words accurately reflect the desire of your heart to be in relationship with God. So if that's you today, I want to invite you to pray with me wherever you are. So let's close our eyes and bow our heads. And you can repeat this after me in your heart. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for willing, being willing to meet me where I am. I know today that I can't do this life on my own. I need your help, I need your strength, I need you. And so today, I surrender my life to you. I wanna make room in my heart for more of you because I believe that you can do more with my life than I can. And so today, I trust that you loved me enough to send your son, to sacrifice his life on my behalf so that through him you no longer see me for my sins and my mistakes, but you see me as a beloved child of God. Today I receive that gift. In Jesus' name, I believe.